text for this morning's sermon is Ecclesiastes 9, the verses 7 to 10. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we pray for God's blessing on our crops and labor. The Lord promised Noah, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God has promised to bestow his providential care over the world in which we live. Psalm 145 says, the Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. God gives food to all his creatures in due season. He opens his hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. And we should not take God's provision for us for granted. By nature, we're inclined to do that. When life is going well for us, it's easy to adopt the attitude that we are the ones who provide for ourselves through our own hard work, forgetting that our job, our health, our earnings are all rich blessings from the Lord's hand. It's why it's customary for us to have a prayer service for crops and labor each spring. In such a service, it's beneficial for us to reflect on our work and also on God's blessings why do we work? What is our motivation for our work? Do we derive any benefits from our work? With what kind of attitude do we approach the task to which God calls us day by day? Our text highlights these questions. In a sense, Ecclesiastes 9 is one of the most negative chapters in the whole book. The preacher makes it clear that no matter who you are or what you do, a common destiny awaits all people. He speaks about the evil that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. You know what that is? It is that irrespective of their works, all people will die. Does that mean that what we do on, on this earth is meaningless? Is our work just vanity and striving after the wind? Do you think that God cares about whether you work or about how you go about the daily tasks that he has given you to do? Our text indicates something different. It teaches us to take pleasure in the blessings that God grants us through our work. It instructs us to seize the day, to make the most of our opportunities, 
to do our work well. For our work has value in God's eyes. I preach to you God's word this morning under the following theme. God calls us to rejoice in the blessings he grants on our work. God calls us to enjoy the pleasures he gives and to work heartily in his service. Much of the book of Ecclesiastes is about the troubles of life. The book begins with the refrain, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. The preacher asks, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Throughout much of the book, the preacher paints a disturbing picture about the troubles of life. More than any other book in the Bible, he captures the futility and the frustration of life in a fallen world. The preacher is honest about the drudgery of work, the injustice of society, the dissatisfaction of foolish pleasure, and the often mind-numbing tedium of everyday life. Ecclesiastes teaches us about what will happen to us if we choose what the world offers instead of what, what God wants to give us. The writer of this book had more money, enjoyed more pleasure, and possessed more human wisdom than anyone in the world. Yet without God, the preacher ended up completely frustrated with his life. The same will happen to us if we live for ourselves rather than for God. The preacher helps us to answer the biggest and the hardest questions we face in life today. Questions about the meaning of life, the purpose of our work, and the source of our joy. Much of Ecclesiastes is about the troubles of life. Our existence under the sun is vanity and striving after the wind. Yet sprinkled throughout this book are the so-called enjoyment passages. At the end of Ecclesiastes 2, the preacher says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. And Ecclesiastes 3 speaks about being joyful and doing good as long as we live. In chapter 5, he speaks about how good and fitting it is for us to find enjoyment in our work, because this is our lot in life. In Ecclesiastes 8, the preacher commends joy as a lifestyle. Some people think that the preacher is speaking out of two sides of his mouth. They struggle to make sense of the fact that on the one hand, he sees life as vanity and striving after the wind, while on the other hand, he calls us to enjoy our work and the blessings God gives us. We see this contrast clearly in the first verses of Ecclesiastes 9. In the first six verses, the preacher expresses dismay about the futility of life. It doesn't seem to make any difference whether you're righteous or wicked, good or evil. No matter how you live your life, a common, a common destiny awaits us all. We'll all die. And yet in our text, the preacher commands us to enjoy the good gifts God has given us. How do we explain this? To come to a clear understanding of the book of Ecclesiastes, we need to understand what the preacher means by that phrase, 
under the sun. 28 times the preacher uses this phrase. In connection with work, the preacher often speaks about the labor or toil that is done under the sun. When this phrase is used, the preacher rules out all higher values or spiritual realities. He considers a matter about which he's speaking purely from an earthly perspective. Thus, at times, the preacher is speaking from a completely worldly perspective. It is as if he draws a line between earth and heaven, and he leaves out of consideration everything above that line. What the preacher emphasizes is that if we consider our labor and toil from a purely earthly perspective, without consideration for where God fits in, then it's all meaningless. It's a striving after the wind. Yet the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is not that life is meaningless and empty. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, is not the message this book teaches us. Instead, the message of Ecclesiastes, communicated in the last chapter, is that we are to fear God and to keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. If that's the goal of our lives, then life has meaning and purpose. The purpose of our lives is then to praise and glorify God in all our words and works. In Ecclesiastes, the preacher draws, the preacher contrasts two different ways of life the one without the Lord and the other with the Lord. He has shown us how empty and meaningless our work is if it's done just for ourselves. In our text, he shows us that God blesses our labor if it's done in his service. Then our work is not empty and meaningless. For through our work, the Lord provides us with our daily needs. He allows us to enjoy the fruit of our labor. Think, beloved, of how many people in our society view their work. Many see work as a necessary evil. We owe, we owe, we owe, so off to work we go. If it were not for economic necessity, many would not work. They'd rather eat, drink, and be merry. They'd prefer to enjoy life by going on a cruise, by spending their time and money on satisfying their personal desires. Many in our society have the Monday blues. They get down about returning to the daily routine of work or school. They just can't wait for Friday, for the weekend, when they can do as they please. How about us, beloved? Do we see work as something needed just to pay the bills? Do we view our work as drudgery, as tedious labor, as dreary toil? Do we consider our daily tasks to be empty and meaningless, a striving after the wind? From a purely earthly perspective, our work may involve a certain amount of futility, and frustration common to man in this fallen, sin-stained world. But as Christians, our perspectives on work and life have been transformed by Christ and his redeeming work. With God in the picture, our work is not meaningless, 
striving after wind. The Bible teaches us to have the right perspective towards our work. Work is not something we do for ourselves to fill our needs or to do our daily tasks in the service of God. Already in paradise, God commanded Adam and Eve to work. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Already prior to the fall into sin, God gave man a task to fulfill. It was through his daily work that man was to praise and glorify God. Some question whether this still applies after the fall into sin. For God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Is there really any redeeming value in our work today? Our text suggests there is. The preacher commands us to enjoy the pleasures God gives us through our work. He says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. This is not a blanket endorsement of everything that people do. God never approves of sin or evil. What the preacher is saying is that The normal activities of life, like eating and drinking, enjoy the blessing of God. Life's enjoyments are not guilty pleasures. They are godly pleasures, or at least they ought to be. A merry heart has God's approval. It's part of his gracious will for our lives. We are commanded, go and eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart. The focus is not so much on the eating and the drinking, but on doing so with joy and gladness. God wants us to rejoice in the daily blessings he grants. The preacher knows the discontent that often lives in our hearts how we are often dissatisfied with our circumstances in life. He points out God's daily provision for us and commands enjoyment of the blessings we receive. He wants to teach us contentment with God's good gifts. The celebration of life continues in verse 8 of our text. The preacher says, Let your garments be always white, Let not oil be lacking on your head. White garments were the dress-up clothes of the ancient world. When people attended festive occasions, they wore white robes. White robes were worn by war heroes in a victory parade, by slaves on the day in which they gained their freedom, by priests on the holy days of Israel. Being anointed with oil was to apply a richly scented body lotion. It's an important part of getting ready for a celebration, not just looking, but also smelling good, which was especially important 
in a hot climate. When the preacher commands us to get dressed up and smelling good for a celebration, his focus is not on going out to some party. Instead, he's teaching us an approach to life. Our whole life is to be a celebration of the good gifts God gives us. We're not living life from the vain perspective of those who live under the sun. We live our lives under the care and blessing of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ has come into this world. He has redeemed us from the curse of sin and death. Jesus died on the cross to take the curse that we deserve on himself. With his precious blood, he has purchased us as his own possession. We're now God's adopted sons and daughters who may live in a relationship with him. That's what makes life good. It's what allows us to experience contentment. The preacher continues the command to enjoy God's blessings in verse 9. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Here the preacher is calling every husband to enjoy his wife. Elsewhere, the preacher speaks about how two are better than one. It's a great blessing to enjoy companionship in life, to have a partner with whom you can share your heart and life, with whom you can be best friends. Some who are married will respond to this by saying that their spouse is not always easy to enjoy. Perhaps the romance has gone out of your marriage. Perhaps it's hard to be friends with someone who is often negative and critical. The preacher doesn't gloss over the struggles we face in marriage. He speaks about your vain life under the sun. Sin and the struggles of life can make marriage hard. Yet on behalf of God, the preacher commands us to enjoy our marriage partner. He or she is a gift of God. Perhaps your wife or husband is hard to enjoy right now. If we fulfill God's command to love in the way in which Christ first loved us, it'll give us opportunities for a renewal of our relationships so that you may indeed enjoy one another and live in close communion together. What we see in our text, beloved, is that God calls us to rejoice in the blessings he gives us. He wants us to take pleasure from the simple things of life, from eating a meal together, from the good gifts he has given in marriage and family life. Our text teaches us that we can find contentment in the simple blessings of everyday life. It comes when we live in a close relationship with the Lord, when we are truly thankful for the good gifts that he gives us. Life is not vanity and striving after the wind. Life is good when we learn to enjoy God and live with him forever. 
brings us to our second point, and it will see how God calls us to work heartily in his service. The final verse of our text says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there's no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. These words have been summarized in a Latin expression made popular in a movie. The expression is carpe diem. Translated, it means seize the day. What the preacher is saying here is that we are to make the most of every day that we've been granted on this earth. We are to do our work with all our might. We're to give it our all. Why? Because our time is limited. As the preacher says, there is neither working, nor thought, nor wisdom, or knowledge in the grave. Beloved, our lives on this earth are but a speck on the timeline of eternity. What are we doing with the time that God has granted us? Are we redeeming the time that we've been given? In Proverbs 24, we read a warning against laziness. The author of these Proverbs went by the field of a sluggard in the vineyard of a lazy man. He observed that thorns had come up everywhere and that the ground was covered with weeds. He says that he applied his heart to what he observed and learned a lesson from what he saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. In 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul commands God's people to work with their own hands so they would not be dependent on anyone. In 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Paul was concerned about those who did not tend to their daily tasks. Some in Thessalonica who did not work had become busybodies. Paul commanded and exhorted them through our Lord Jesus Christ that they settle down and eat their own bread. Now, beloved, we all recognize that there are exceptions to this. There are some who are not able to work because of life circumstances. Some may suffer a disability or some form of illness. Ephesians 4.28 teaches us that one of the reasons we are to work is that we may have something to give to those who are in need. Some no longer work because of their age. Our seniors may enjoy a well-deserved retirement after many years of fruitful labor. Yet even they still have a task to do. It's important also for them to continue to live productive lives to God's glory and their neighbor's benefit. I think that many of you would heartily agree with me that it's necessary to work hard, to give our daily tasks our best effort. Many of us have a strong motivation to do so. We want to get ahead in life. There's things we'd like to have, and it's through hard work that we can achieve them. Please understand, beloved, the dangers that surround us in this regard. We live in a materialistic society. We're influenced by that. 
often more than we're willing to admit. That is not the reason why we should do our work diligently. Our text teaches us that there is meaning and purpose in the work we do. We don't go to work just to make money. We don't choose a career because it pays well. We don't exert ourselves just to get a raise or a promotion. Why is it that we work? Why is it that we are diligent and faithful in our labor? Because as Christians, we see our daily work as a fulfillment of a God-given mandate. The Lord has created us and given us a place on this earth to serve Him, to glorify His name, to promote His kingdom. Our text teaches us that God takes sincere delight in works done in His service. He approves of the work of the godly. What you do for work is less important than how you do it. It is great if we can find something in life that we enjoy doing. Young people, it is in this stage of your life that it's still easy to go to school and get an education or learn a trade. Apply yourself to something you can put your heart into so you can get up in the morning and have enthusiasm for your daily task. Sometimes in life we get into situations where our work may not be very satisfying, but where we don't have many other options. Even then, we need to learn the right attitude to our work to give it our best effort to be content, knowing we are serving the Lord Christ. As a young person, one of my first jobs was cleaning a laundromat. It involved wiping down the machines, sweeping and mopping the floors, emptying the garbage, and cleaning the toilet. Certainly not a glamorous job in any way. But I was happy to have a job and to save up for my first car. It taught me the discipline of showing up and of working hard. Satisfying to see how in an hour and a half I could transform a dirty mess into a shiny, tidy place. I have good memories of that job. I was content doing it, even though from society's perspective it was low-paid, unskilled work. How Can we be content in doing work that involves toilsome labor? How can you happily do the same repetitive tasks again and again? Paul teaches us something about this when he addressed the slaves of his day. In the Roman world, many slaves were not treated well. Many masters were domineering and demeaning in their treatment of their slaves. Slaves worked long hours in tough conditions. They had little control over their own lives. And yet Paul commands them, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Ultimately, beloved, our work is not done in the service of earthly bosses or customers. Our primary goal in life is not to be people pleasers. 
In all the tasks of daily life, we serve our master, Jesus Christ. His eyes are always upon us. We do our work in the first place to praise and to glorify him. Paul gives us a beautiful perspective on how our work is to be done for the Lord and how he will bless it. In Colossians 3, 23 and 24, he says, Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. God promises to bless our work, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. Something that the Lord Jesus himself taught us. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. What Jesus is teaching here is that there are eternal rewards that he will grant to those who labor faithfully, who use their time, talents, and treasure in his service. Quite a startling concept, isn't it? That we can lay up treasures for ourselves in heaven. The Bible consistently teaches that our actions today have consequences for the life to come. God will also reward us for the works that are pleasing in his eyes. Jesus made it clear in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. God is like the master in this parable in that he entrusts us with talents, that he expects us to use them in his service. Those who do will be richly rewarded. Those who don't will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see that our work has value in God's eyes. How we apply ourselves to the daily task to which we're called has consequences, not just for this life, but also for the life to come. In Revelation 14, verse 13, John was instructed, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow them. In Revelation 22, the Lord Jesus said, Behold, I'm coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. What a glorious perspective the Bible gives us. Our work, the daily task to which God calls us, is not empty or meaningless or striving after wind. God calls us to do our daily tasks diligently, not for our own self-gratification, but as acts of service directed to the glory of his name and the coming of his kingdom. It's important to God what we do and how we do it. God has promised to grant a rich blessing on our work. We're allowed to enjoy those blessings already now in this life. 
And God will also reward them in the life to come. This morning we will pray for God's blessing on our crops and labor for the year to come. We know that our work is in vain unless the Lord decides to bless. Tomorrow we'll again begin another work week. Are you looking forward to that, beloved? Can you see God has a task for you in the place and station where he has put you? Are you going to approach your work with the right attitude? Knowing that Father in heaven will be looking to see why and how you do your daily tasks? May he lead and guide each of us by his word and spirit that we may do our work heartily in the service of our master, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel message by rising and singing together. Psalm 128, stanzas 1 and 3.